I find with my kids, sometimes they are going to communicate this to me differently. They might say, mom, 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 mom. And that might actually be them communicating love. They're trying to connect using words. And that's their way of showing me love. My instinct is to be very annoyed and to be upset with them. And I can override that and go, wow, my child is showing me love right now. Welcome to the Beautifully Complex podcast, where I share insights and strategies on parenting neurodivergent kids straight from the trenches. I'm your host, Penny Williams. I'm a parenting coach, author, and mindset mama, honored to guide you on the journey of raising your atypical kid. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Beautifully Complex podcast. I am really excited today to have Emily Hamplin here with me to talk about children's unique love languages, which we were just talking about before we started, is a topic I don't think we've covered in over 200 episodes here at Beautifully Complex. I'm really, really excited to dive into this and also to learn it for myself. So if you will start, Emily, just by letting everybody know who you are and what you do, and then we'll dive in. Well, first of all, Penny, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to connect with you and be able to be on your show. But um, in terms of who I am, like you said, my name is Emily Hamblin, and I am a mom of four kids. Their oldest is 12, the youngest is two, so we're still in that phase of parenting. And I didn't know for years that most of my children were neurodivergent. They're also twice exceptional. They were doing quite well in school, and I was just seeing a lot of really difficult behaviors at home. Mm. And I have a background as a teacher, so you would think I would have noticed, at least I thought I would have noticed sooner that they have autism and ADHD. But I didn't know for years. All I knew was my teaching degrees did not prepare me for motherhood the way that I thought that they would. I was so sure it would be a cakewalk. It was really difficult, especially the meltdowns, the intense emotions, the screaming, the fighting, the hitting. I really thought I was just failing as a mom for years Mm. until I realized My children just needed to be parented differently than the way that I was parenting them and that they needed it to start with me, my own mindsets, my own thoughts, a lot of what you've taught on this podcast with recognizing it's not that they won't do it, but that they can't. And then figuring out, okay, why can't they and how can I help them learn those skills? Yeah. So it shifted my lens. I still have that teacher lens, but now instead of teaching my kids to be compliant and behave, I'm teaching them the skills that they need to handle those really tricky situations like a change in events or when they lose that board game. What are we going to do instead of flipping the board game in the air, slamming the table on the ground and running to our rooms? (laughs) How are we going to handle that instead? Right. So yeah. Yeah. Sounds familiar. Yeah, (laughs) I'm sure. So that's a little bit about me. And part of that has been recognizing that my children might be communicating to me in a different way than expected, including their love languages, which we'll jump into. But shifting that lens, whether or not a child has a diagnosis, that they just might be communicating differently because they're seeing and experiencing the world differently has been really life-changing for our family. Yeah, absolutely. And understanding that, you know, they might be communicating something that feels entirely different to you on the surface. (laughs) But, you know, I always talk a lot about noticing the intention behind behavior, because I think that's how we determine what they're trying to communicate, right? And sometimes it's vastly different than what it feels like to us um, when we're receiving it on that receiving end. 
Absolutely. I had one of our members last week. She had a child and she said, every time I asked the child to do something like put the lid on the milk, I met with so much resistance and so many intense emotions. And her question initially was, how can I help my kid be corrected without having intense emotions? Mm -hmm. And she was coming from a great place. She's a wonderful mom who's worked a lot on her parenting. And then I said, well, why do you think your kid has those intense emotions in the first place? Then she thought about it and she realized, oh, well, in her words, the kid's a picky eater, so she's not getting a lot of nutrition. And the kid is having a hard time in school. And the child has siblings that don't have the same difficulties. And she's probably comparing herself to them, thinking they have Mm -hmm. it so easy. And she just laid everything out. And then I said, okay, now can you write a story from your child's perspective? Where the child's the hero and they're trying their best. Write a story. And it was beautiful. It brought me to tears. And, And the story was, I'm so hungry, but everything looks so gross. And so I just feel hungry all day long and, and I want to eat the food, but I just can't get myself to eat it. And and then I hope my mom doesn't get mad. I'm just going to eat cereal again because that's all I can stand to eat. And I know if I were my brother, I would like the food that she makes, but I'm not my brother and I wish I were. And then she comes in and asks me to put the milk on the lid on the milk and I just can't handle it anymore. Mm. So. Oh my gosh. I love that prompt though. That so helps us get to our kids perspective like if we mindfully do that yes once she came to that perspective i didn't even need to give her the tools she already said oh i see what my child Mm -hmm. needs yeah Yeah. wow that was really powerful let's talk about love languages and what they are i want to start with what is a love language There's a well-known book out there about love languages, and I think a lot of us think about it in terms of relationships, romantic relationships, Um, but it really, I think, applies to every human, right? Absolutely. Well, love languages is a phrase coined by Gary Chapman in his book, Five Love Languages. He's also written a book, The Five Love Languages of Children, and that's where the idea comes from. And according to him, there's five different love languages. We have quality time, words of affirmation, physical touch, receiving gifts, and acts of service. Now, I'll be honest, I haven't read his book for a little while, so sometimes I'm not <laughs> sure what were his ideas and how I've just made them work for, for, them. My own, <laughs> for my own family yeah, and yeah. the families that I work with. But I really do believe that sometimes we will have a way of communicating love that might be in certain languages. For example, my husband communicates love with gifts. He loves to give people gifts, but it doesn't matter to him whether he receives a gift or not. And the same, I have a child that loves to get hugs, does not Mm -hmm. love to give hugs, but he shows love through a different love language. So sometimes, you know, we might have a little bit of a shift in how they're giving versus receiving. And especially with our neurodivergent children, again, whether or not they have a diagnosis, any child that isn't really fitting into a box, we might say, or expected development, yeah, they will often communicate differently. I mean, we could go through each love language if that's okay with you and just chat about what that might look like. Yes, that's exactly what I would love to do. Yeah. Which one do you want to start with? Physical touch is huge for my boys because my three oldest mm. are boys and they're all neurodivergent. <laughs> and so... Like I said, one loves to get hugs. He loves when I give him a hug or his sister gives him a hug. 
his little two-year-old sister. He doesn't give them. I don't think he's ever come up to me in his life and given me a hug. Hmm. And that would be really easy for me, since physical touch is one of my top love languages, to feel unloved by my child. Oh, my child doesn't love me. Right. He just wants me to give him hugs. He never wants to give me a hug. But I have noticed that this child will initiate wrestling, Hmm. that he will try to tickle people. He'll poke people. He'll come up to me and, like, headbutt me in my back whenever he wants my attention. And it's easy to say, oh, he's just looking for attention or he's just trying to be annoying. But I could also shift that lens and say, what if he's communicating love through physical touch right now? Mm. Yeah, we don't go there. <laughs> we don't go there when our kid is punching on us and headbutting us. Oh, right? not hurting. Okay. But even so, I think, you know, we equate things like that with being more aggressive naturally and that protective instinct that we have. So yeah, just trying to think about it in that way takes mindfulness. I've noticed he'll go up to a sibling and just lightly tickle the back of their elbow, (laughs) which Mm. is definitely, it annoys the sibling. So it's hard to, you know, it's still hard for us to handle as a family, but I really do believe he does it in a way to try to connect with that sibling Mm -hmm. in the way that he's currently able to. Yeah. For me, I'm trying to reconcile that he loves to get hugs but not give hugs Mm -hmm. because a lot of our kids who don't like hugs don't like touch, right? It's a sensory thing. Mm -hmm. And so thinking about the fact that it could be different things between giving and receiving is kind of blowing my mind a little right now. (laughs) It's amazing. And of course, we could go into sensory where one of my children with autism has a very small proprioceptive cup. So when I do give him hugs, he wants a very light hug and he does not want me to hold him close. The other one has a huge proprioceptive cup, very much a sensory seeker. Mm -hmm. So he wants me to like bear hug him, squeeze him tight and rock him while I hug him. And so recognizing their sensory preferences combined with their love languages, that's really been a game changer for our family. Yeah. Proprioceptive is that deep pressure input for anybody listening who doesn't know. I have the kid who loves bear hugs. We used to use bear hugs when he was younger to help him regulate and come out of meltdowns when he wanted it. He didn't always want that, right? But when he was open to it, it was so wildly helpful and just getting that deep pressure. But then, as you said, there are people who have a very small tolerance for that. So yeah, knowing your kid's profile, what helps them, what is off-putting, for lack of a better word, coming to my mind to them, what they can't handle, really informs how we interact and communicate back with our kids, right? Because communication goes both ways, as we're talking about. Absolutely. And whenever I recognize how much my children, you know, we talk about the senses and how there's different preferences for each sense, as I learn their different preferences for each love language, it helps me to communicate. Okay, this kid doesn't really want a lot of physical touch. Maybe it's sensory, maybe it's their love language preference, whatever, Mm -hmm. versus this child doesn't want to be touched a lot, but they do like to be physically close. And so I might try to incorporate just a gentle hand on their shoulder when I'm talking to them, right? or a little scratch on the head when they come home from school. And I talk to just incorporate touch a little bit more into my parenting on their level of comfort with that. Yeah. Let's move on to the second love language and how that would apply to our kids. Yeah. Words of affirmation. This is basically 
any positive words, right? It might be praise. It might be encouragement. It might be telling them that you love them. Now, in his book, Gary Chapman says, you don't want to use this too much because it might become overused and they might not feel that it's special anymore. That's what he says. And I actually disagree. (laughs) Um, Mm. With the kids I've worked with, it seems like they can't get enough of me incorporating words of affirmation. And I find with my kids, sometimes they are going to communicate this to me differently. They might say, mom, 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 mom. And that might actually be them communicating love. Mm. They're trying to connect using words. Yeah. And that's their way of showing me love. My instinct is to be very annoyed and to be upset with them. (laughs) Right, right. And I can override that and go, wow, my child is showing me love right now. Mm. And the same towards siblings, they do it to each other. And to recognize anytime they're using a words, any words to try to connect, that that is an attempt to show love. And then the reverse, anytime we can use words to connect with them. My 12-year-old just got a little gab watch, a phone watch. Mm. Every day it tells me when he turns it on. And he'll usually turn it on on the way to school. And I'll try to send him a quick text often and say, mm. good morning, I love you. And I usually get this response, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, mom. <laughs> right. Or my eight-year-old, I help him pack his lunch. And I'll often grab a napkin and just write with a Sharpie on it. I love you, mom. I stick it in there. Or you're awesome. Or hey, you're great. Just like little teeny notes that take 10 seconds on my part. Anytime I can incorporate words to communicate love that are small, it really helps us strengthen that connection, which is really important, especially with neurodivergent kids. We're correcting them so much throughout the day. Mm -hmm. We need to deposit. And love languages has been a game changer for us to look for ways to deposit a lot. Yeah, I love that. One thing that comes up for me is just noticing, you know, it doesn't have to really sound like praise. It can just be noticing when, you know, your kid hit a goal, like they finally put their dirty clothes in the hamper that school morning when usually you have to nag them 10 times and then it's still on the floor when they leave, right? Like just noticing these little things. Thank you so much for helping me bring the groceries in from the garage or anything like that, really, I think it's received in that same way. Mm -hmm. It feels good. And we're using language to help them feel good. My kids are older now, and sometimes I'll put a post-it on their bedroom door. Thanks for doing whatever I noticed, and it really helped me out or something like that. And it's impactful. It's super impactful and so powerful. Oh, that's great. And I love this idea of celebrating those micro wins. One Mm -hmm. of my children, they're at an age where most people would expect them to independently brush their teeth, but we're still working on helping them be independent in that. Mm -hmm. And this child can now put the toothpaste on his toothbrush without leaving a trail of toothpaste on the counter. Mm. There's still a lot of other things that there's a lot of other things we're still working on, Sure, but there's no longer a trail of toothpaste on the counter. It took about three weeks to get there. And it's so tempting to wait until everything is perfect Yeah, on toothbrushing to celebrate. But instead, last night and this morning, I was just cheering him. Look, oh my, you just finished brushing your teeth. There's no toothpaste on the counter. You're learning to put that toothpaste on your toothbrush without leaving a trail on the counter. You were working so hard at this. I'm really proud of your hard work right now. Yes. 
And totally growth mindset, what you said. I recognize it instantly as growth mindset. You know, we're praising the effort and not the outcome. And that's fantastic. That really, I think, helps just to have our kids open to us. But it also, I think, helps with it feeling genuine because we're not just saying, oh, you're great or your art is so lovely. That thing you colored, it's amazing. And it may be scribble, right? But that's kind of, I think our instinct as parents or what we're taught, I don't know, but like I've worked too on really celebrating the micro wins. I've sort of learned that the hard way, or it took me a really long time. I'm just really type A, like I want to get things done. I want to get things the way they need to be. And I want it to happen just right away. I'm going to put all my effort into it. But that's all about me, right? It's not about my kid. And so we need to take those tiny steps and recognize when we've completed one of those tiny steps and we're moving to the next. And it keeps our kids engaged in that process, I think, too, because they have to also get frustrated that they can't just decide that their whole area in the morning is going to be clean, right? There's going to be no toothpaste. There's, it's going to be wonderful and make it so, right? They would love to do that too, I think. So recognizing that and being able to just really notice those teeny tiny micro wins has been really, really valuable in our household to just keep trying because there are things that, you know, we're working on. My kid is 21. There are things we're still working on that we've been working on for years. And I've had to say, okay, you know what, if we can just make one step in the right direction, that's super incredible. And then we're going to celebrate that a while. And then we will try to take that very next really small step. It's something I actually learned in therapy for myself, (laughs) because I'm so hard on myself when I can't just get there. And so I really had to learn that lesson for myself even. So let's talk about number three. So the third love language is receiving gifts. Well, that's how Gary Chapman puts it, is Mm -hmm. receiving gifts. But I really do believe giving gifts could be a love language when receiving gifts is not, or vice versa. Yeah. And I know some parents get a little bit worried about materialism or, you know, having too many things, et cetera, whenever they indulge in this love language. But I don't think it has to just be about getting big expensive toys or pricey things. I think this is just the idea of having a physical token of something that is given from one person to another. My kids love whenever I find really cute rocks when we're hiking. Like, oh, look at that beautiful rock. And one of my children loves to find, he calls them crystals, just the little white quartz rocks when we're hiking. And he loves to give them to other people. And to me, that is him showing that this is one of his love languages, is to give something physical to express love. Uh, This child doesn't necessarily care when he gets something. I have another child that doesn't care much. It's going to sound selfish. I don't think it is. He doesn't care much about giving people things, but Mm -hmm. he loves to get them. Like I said, I know that sounds selfish, but this child also has other love languages that I see them communicate with. They just don't naturally think of giving. And my children sometimes will give me bizarre things. Like (laughs) they want to, like a dead bug. And they're so excited about this dead beetle. And mom, look, this is for you. And I'm just like, 
oh my goodness, this is disgusting. That's what I'm saying on the inside. But then I recognize this is my child trying to connect with me, trying to show me love through giving me something. This is them expressing love right now. Granted, I don't have to love having a beetle in my hand, but I (laughs) I can recognize that they're expressing love in that moment. You can show gratitude and then immediately put it somewhere else. <laughs> yes. And this can also be, I think, the children that want to give you artwork or they love whenever you might give them a new pencil to use for school or just really small things. Anytime there's a physical token that's exchanged. And I'll also recognize this is my very lowest love language of the five. So it's been the hardest for mm. me to navigate because it's not instinctual for me to want to feel loved when I get something from them or to give them something to show love. So it's something I'm still navigating is being able to navigate my own love language and recognize that it's different from theirs. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because I think it is a really important part of looking at love languages and using it to help us interact. We have to know our own too and be able to, as you said, sort of navigate what it is for other people within the framework of what it is for us also, you know, knowing that we're giving that person what they need, but it may not be what we need and that that's okay because we'll get what we need in another way or at another time. All right, we're on number four. Number four. Mm -hmm. This is quality time. Mm. That's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. This is just any time that is focused between two people. For us to our children, it would be, you know, parent to child. Sometimes it might be our children being able to focus with each other. No distractions and quality time. This is where with me with four children, and they're still quite young and they have pretty intense needs sometimes. This is where just communicating with them to see what they would want for it to look like has helped. For example, my oldest loves to do things that are one-on-one with me or with my husband, but he honestly doesn't mind if his baby sister's tagging along. He Mm. still feels like it's quality time. Yeah. And so he's fine with that. If I bring him out to a restaurant and his sister comes, he still feels like this is quality time because he can talk to me about anything and she doesn't really pick up on it. Mm -hmm. For him, that's fine. Whereas for my (laughs) five-year-old... He would not be okay with that. He, he would want his two-year-old sister to be nowhere near whenever I'm giving him quality time. And this is also something, you know, with four children, I can't right. dedicate hours and hours a week to each child. Some weeks, though, I might say, okay, I don't have hours for you. I don't maybe even have half an hour, but I have five minutes. Mm-hmm. And I always tell parents, if you don't have five minutes, try three minutes. Set a timer on your phone for three minutes, although you don't really want your phone near you for this, but you know, right. try to He's find just timer. three minutes where you're not thinking about anything else. You're not working on the laundry. You're not cleaning the house. You're not doing anything except sitting with your child, giving them all of your attention. Yeah. In the Behavior Revolution program, we talk about time in, which isn't our title, but it's the same thing. Time in or special time. Sometimes it's called to and it's really powerful, even for teens and young adults. It's really powerful just to show them that we're interested. And and as we're talking about it, it shows how much we care. Yes. And this one has been harder for me because my children with autism, they sometimes have very deep interests that I mm-hmm. 
I honestly don't care about. Yes. Like one of my children for about six months was extremely interested in light bulbs, the different kinds of light bulbs, LED versus halogen versus he knows all of them. And he would want to, special time was always him telling me about the different light bulbs in the room, the different ones he's researched lately, what he saw at the store. And I'll admit it, it was it was a little challenging for me because I don't right, care right. very much about that. Yep. <laughs> but I care about my child. And so another time he was very into license plates. So I asked him what he wanted to do for, I called him big brother dates back then. He said, I just want to walk around the neighborhood and look at the license plates. And he would tell me about the tags and the expiration, what he noticed about the patterns. And yeah, that was our special time. I mean, you can really lean into anything. You just have to be open to it not being of interest to you and that being okay. And it can be really difficult, you know, especially like my son has a virtual reality headset and he loves it. He's been doing VR for four or five years probably now. He's always like, mom, you should see this. It's so, I'm like, that is the one thing I just, I get motion sick very easily and I cannot <laughs> do VR. I would physically be ill. And so it's like, well, why don't you just explain to me like what you're seeing? And he'll talk to me all the time about different things that he does in there and how he hangs out with his friends within the virtual reality world, what he sees and and all of that stuff. So I can't, you know, physically share that, but we can talk about it. We can find another way to connect over it that doesn't require that. So I just encourage people to get more creative if it's something like that that you just really can't do. But when it's just a topic of conversation, like, come on, you can get five, 10, 15 minutes. It's okay. You can do it. (laughs) And focusing on this isn't about the topic. This is about me showing my child love right now. And receiving love because if my child's wanting my undivided attention and they're giving it to me, obviously they're communicating love to me, even if it's not the way I would have expected. I might have never expected that, Mm -hmm. you know, a child monologuing me about Minecraft facts. That's what one of my kids is into. It's just telling me all of the data when this version of Minecraft was released and that version was released. And I would have never 10 years ago thought that that was a child showing me love. But I recognize it now. I recognize that him telling me all the Minecraft facts is him showing me love through dedicated attention to me. What's our last love language? Our last one is my biggest one. Mm, So it's very easy for me. And this is acts of service. And this one, I know a lot of moms struggle. They say, I serve my kids all day long. (laughs) (laughs) My whole life is one act of service. And I totally get where they're coming from for that. But acts of service is the idea of when we do something for someone or they do something for us that we feel love. And we're doing things for our kids all day long. They might not always be aware of them, especially my children with ADHD. Not that they don't care about me again. It's just they don't always notice all the things that I'm doing. So being able to, first of all, recognize when they might be serving me in more of the less traditional ways that we might expect service. Like one of my children, he was so sweet to point it out. He came in my room and (laughs) I know that you won't show the recording, but you can tell I have a bit of clutter behind me right now. And he knocked over a big roller foam ball I had just gotten for Christmas and I hadn't put away yet. He knocked it over on his way in. And as he walked out, he picked it up and propped it against the wall. And I honestly didn't notice. And he said to me, 
Mom, I wanted to make sure nobody would trip on this because I love them. And it cued me in again to all the small things that our children might be doing that we might not notice. Because yeah. that same child struggles sometimes to clear his plate after dinner, right? And that same child has a lot of other things that I could say that are evidence that he doesn't like to serve. I could easily say that that child doesn't like to serve based on that other evidence. But I can choose also to look for evidence that he does like to serve. And it's there and it's really abundant. There's so much of it. I just have to look. How is my child serving me or others? And recognizing that that's their way of expressing love. Even though they're not always doing everything, it's still there. And then to help them feel that love, I like to infuse some intentionality (laughs) in. Like just, this one's hard to not feel like we're tooting our own horn. We don't want to cross into the manipulative realm. But just letting my child know, hey, I saw you were running late for getting ready for school. So I packed your lunch for you. Hmm. And I did it because I love you. Right. Not because I'm expecting their behavior to change or I want them to do anything, but just to let them know, I did this. I'm calling your attention to it because I want you to know that I love you. I love that. It's so good. It's so simple. Like, this is so simple. (laughs) It's not so simple to change your mindset and, you know, recognize things as your child showing love, but the things that we can do to show them love and to connect with them can be really simple and easy to weave into daily life. And I think that's just really powerful. I want to wrap up by just giving everyone listening an action item that they can do right away. They finished listening to us talk about love languages here. What can they do right away to start recognizing those different love languages and what they are for each of their kids? I would recommend that you just start with one love language, whatever one resonates the most for you. Acts of service, quality time, giving or receiving gifts, physical touch, words of affirmation. Whichever one resonates the most with you, start Mm. to look for evidence of your child communicating that. And it's not going to be obvious for many of our neurodivergent children. Yeah, It's not going to be immediately in our face. But we can recognize it. If we're looking for it, we'll find it. Our brains are excellent at finding what we're looking for. Mm. And so I would start there. And also try to just generally observe which one does your child seem to receive the best or which one seems to light them up the most when they receive maybe the top two of those love languages. And then really try to find easy, natural ways to infuse that more into your day to express it to your child. If it's physical touch, if it's quality time, how can you incorporate that even in your busy day? Just a few minutes a day, a few times a day can make a huge difference in your relationship with your child. Yeah. And that relationship guides everything. Yes. It's so, so important. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time and wisdom and insights. I have had many ahas as we have been talking and having this conversation and Really, I feel like my awareness has been heightened and now it can help me to really recognize when sometimes things don't feel overtly like someone is showing me love, but I can recognize that maybe they are in those moments too. And I think it's going to provide a nice shift in a lot of things. And I know it will for so many listening too. I want to make sure that everyone knows how to connect more with Emily, learn more from her. You have a membership as well, I believe. 
if I remember correctly. So we will link all of that in the show notes. And you can find all of those links at parentingadhdandautism.com slash 250 for episode 250. I I can't even wrap my head around that. (laughs) 250 (laughs) podcast episodes as of this moment. It's something to notice and celebrate, right? Absolutely. It's my love language to parents. Yeah, so I encourage everybody to go over and connect and learn more. And I will see everyone on the next episode. Take good care. Thanks for joining me on the Beautifully Complex podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share. And don't forget to check out my online courses and parent coaching at parentingadhdandautism.com and at thebehaviorrevolution.com. Thank you.